0: take a deep breath and just find one thing that you love about yourself you appreciate and let yourself just sit in that and feel that and you're allowed fully full permission
1: Hello boys and girls ladies and gentlemen this is Nishant and welcome to another episode of the Nishant Garg show. My mission is to help people get in touch with their emotions and feelings, connect to themselves and being a source of healing. My job on this show is to sit with the world-class experts to deconstruct the practices, routines and habits to help you live a fulfilled and abundant life. This episode was recorded in October 2020. Why it took me a year to publish? Well. I believe that everything has its own universal timing, and here we are with today's amazing guest, Marla Morris. This episode goes live at the right time for me as well, since I am going through some overeating issues in the last few weeks. Marla is the creator of Love Your Body, Love Yourself. After years of struggling with her own dysfunctional body relationship, she has transformed her experiences into services to help women discover, honor, and find appreciation for their bodies. As a professional, Marla has been featured at TEDx and she was the leading body image expert and Reiki master at a drug alcohol rehabilitation center. In this episode, she explains how to love your body and yourself, why we overeat and overexercise, recipe to feeling good. Reiki as a healing practice, and much, much more. Please enjoy this amazing conversation with today's guest, Marla. Marla, welcome to the show.
0: Thank you for having me. It's so lovely to be here.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's been a long time. <laughs> <laughs> and I thought if we could start with your love for food, exercise, exercise,
0: Oh, shall so we just jump right in, shall we? Yeah. 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 Well, I don't know if I would say a love. I would say maybe I had a love-hate relationship with with my body with food in particular, and my relationship with exercise was always loved moving my body, but I definitely there was at a time where I was definitely an over-exerciser. So, at this point I support people to feel good in their bodies. To have a peaceful relationship with food and their body. And that inspiration, that passion of mine has come from my dysfunctional relationship with my body and food, having a lot of overeating, undereating, binging, purging, a lot of restriction, a lot of putting myself down, feeling really uncomfortable with every meal, thinking about dinner while meeting lunch, constantly micromanaging. And really using food and my body as a way to disconnect myself from life and as a way, as a coping tool, really, to not have to deal with what is actually happening. Mm -hmm. And, And sometimes it's not even awful things that are happening. Sometimes it's expansion and growth and amazing, and it's just the fear of actually fully showing up. So a lot of focusing on my body and weight has been big part of my history and a big part of my journey.
1: You mentioned about over-exercising. Could you tell us what is over-exercising when we exercise and when we over-exercise? What is the difference between just exercising and over-exercising?
0: Yeah. So I used exercise as a way to uh, manipulate my body and as a way to control the calories. So if I ate something, then I would exercise. If I ate too much, I would exercise beyond what is normal or or that my body wanted. So I overrode my body. If it was super tired, I would still exercise. If my knees were hurting, I wouldn't stop. There was this fear that if I listened to my body, I would become fat. So I was what you call like an exercise bulimic. So most people are familiar with bulimia as you know, you throw your food up. Well, I would just work off the calories by over-exercising. And what this did was create a lot of distrust in my body. My body did not trust me and I did not trust my body. And because I wasn't listening to the cues that my body was giving me, like slow down, go back to bed, do some yoga, don't run around, you know, walk, don't run, slow down. I created a, a lot of injuries. I I mean to this day I'm still kind of dealing with the repercussions of that. You know, pain in my knee, over overtaxed adrenals. So, you know, when we don't listen to our bodies, especially when we're younger, we really don't think much of it, but the emotional, what happens emotionally and what happens physically and even on a spiritual level, like we're disconnecting from, from our voice, from our, our highest self and that the, our intuition. And so when we cut that off, mm-hmm. that has like, that affects everything.
1: If you could take us back to your previous years in your life, how did you listen to your voice to stop overexercising and to stop overeating?
0: Well, it's, it was a slow process, I would say, because it is, it's not something that we turn off and turn on like a a light switch. It is just like any relationship. If you think about a friend of yours who doesn't trust you, you have to gain that person's trust. So I had to gain the trust in my body and my body had to gain the trust in me. And so it is okay. I trust But if I listen to my body and I, and I go back to bed, even though I want to go for a run, I trust that i that I'm going to feel safe. So sometimes it didn't feel safe, but I just was like, you know what? I'm going to let my body be the guide here. And the more that I did that, the more faith I had in myself. And quite honestly, what happened is when I became pregnant, I had to listen to my body, I had to give it what it wanted to eat. I didn't have to, but I chose to, right? Because it wasn't about me anymore. It was about this being that was growing in my belly. So I started listening. How did it want to be fed? How, how was I supposed to be moved? And every time I did that, I, I found that the craziness in my head went away, the craziness around my food, the controlling aspect. And I started to feel relief and back to center.
1: Would you say that your pregnancy was your turning point?
0: I would, actually. And and it's interesting because so many women can be afraid to get pregnant because they're afraid of what's going to happen to their body. And what's going to happen, you know, when, after they have a child and all of that. And it was, it was the biggest gift. I, I've said that to my son, I'm like, you have, you know, he's, he's almost eight now. I'm like, you, I love you so much. And you have helped (laughs) me heal my, myself, you know? So I would say that there was something in that. And I think I remember, I can remember when I, surrendered. I'm like, I'm just done, right? I'm going to surrender. And I fully let myself surrender. But I was thinking, you know what, Marley, you're just pregnant. Once you go back, once you have this, you know, this babe, you're going to go back to your normal self. And I just decided not to I just decided to keep listening. And that's where the muscle kept, you know, I kept building that muscle. I mean, it's not like it's been perfect. Of course not, right? We're human beings and we're listening every day and sometimes we're good at it and sometimes we're not. But there is a level that there there is a, a deep, dark place that I've never gone back to.
1: Would you say that listening to our body is a skill? Can we cultivate that?
0: Do I think it's a skill? Is that what you said? Yes. Yes. I definitely think it's a skill and I think it is something that we are not taught. We're not taught that, how to do that. Most people don't even know it. They don't even know that they're disconnected to their body. Everyone's living in their heads. And even when they're moving their body and they're exercising or they're doing whatever, they think they're in their body, but they're actually not. And it's not necessarily a a judgment. It's It's just what I see over and over again. And, and so it is about becoming less in our body, less in our head and more in our body. I have a, I have a a meditation called get out of your head and into your body. And that whole meditation that I, it's a moving meditation where it's about when our mind is looping and we're in negative, a negative point of view over and over in our head, we can't sometimes talk ourselves out of it. But we can get into our body and we get into movement or we get into like, you know, jumping around or like, you know, changing the subject, you know, and letting our body be fueled by movement or getting really focused on something. We can get out of our head and actually create more space for more peace.
1: How can we practice this moving meditation? And the reason I'm asking is there are many kinds of meditation. And in this podcast, we talk about bodies can transcendental Different kinds of meditation, and this is a new meditation to me as well.
0: Well, I can send it to you and to your listeners, and they can, you know, come to my website and get it.
1: <laughs> sure, that would be
0: the easiest way to do it. <laughs> but you know, not only this, not only what I'm talking about, I find that anything that can get us out of um, our body. So even sometimes I'll do is just put music on and just dance around. Or sometimes people going for a walk, clearing their head, putting music on, like getting into their body, moving, stretching, yoga. I love Osho's active meditations because those are very active and can help really do some clearing. So I have a lot of tools in my toolbox when it comes to movement and meditation, because I think that you know sometimes just going into stillness although we all really need it, there are moments in time where there's just so much aggravation that we can't sit still with it. So to be able to move move that out of our system and out of our minds through an act of meditation can be super helpful.
1: Marla, what is your favorite music that you listen to?
0: Oh my gosh, it all depends. This morning I went for a walk and I listened to kundalini yoga music. Sometimes I listen to really like, Fun, hip-hop, I love singer-songwriter, like women's music, you know it's all over the place. I have to listen to a lot of reggae because that's what my husband listens to, so <laughs>
1: <laughs> And how, how would your eight-year-old son describe what do you do for a living?:
0: He would say, "I help people." That's what he would say. He's like, "Oh yeah, you, you help people. you help them." Lo-. He would say, you, "You help them love your body, and you give them Reiki that's what he would say.
1: As a listener to this podcast, I'm thinking, I i am a man, I cannot be pregnant. So how can I love my body, Marla? Could you give mm. me some practices?
0: Yeah, well, it's really not about that. You know, I never advocate for anyone to getting pregnant to make them turn <laughs> it away. Well, you know, it's all, it's all a very personal experience. What I find is that it's not, it usually isn't about the body and it isn't about the food. There is of the time, there is a deeper issue and a different, a deeper layer here, we can always blame it on the body. And we can always say, Oh, but my body isn't thin enough. There's no way I could love my body at this weight. Um, We could blame, you know, having distrust with food and not liking food because you are always emotionally eating, but there's always something underneath. There's usually a trauma attached to it. There's usually not feeling worthy. There's a story. So, you know, Nishant, you and I would have to sit down and you would have to go deep into (laughs) some process for me. But what I would say on, you know, uh, a lighter level, other than going into the, the depths of trauma is to is to notice that we are connected to a culture, to a diet culture and to a culture that is constantly bombarding us with messages that we are not thin enough. We are not good enough. Our bodies are not right. We're not eating the right food. And we are so inundated with this and it's so pervasive in our languaging even with each other and all around us that it can be challenging to see that there's another way to to look at ourselves and love ourselves like it's not it's not normal to say i love my body or i like my body it is normal to say oh i like my body but my butt's big or oh i can't love my body you know with with you know these big shoulders or whatever the story is So, I think it's changing the story around it and noticing that some of these negative beliefs are something that we've taken on because we think we're not allowed to love our bodies. And that's one of the things that I'm wanting to change is to change the narrative and to look and say, I don't have to believe this anymore. Like, take our power back from our diet culture that's like a $6 billion industry growing every day, telling Mm -hmm. us we're not good enough. So, getting ourselves off of Instagram accounts that are making us feel less than (laughs) getting ourselves off of not hanging out with people that are constantly talking negative things about themselves. And I think the number one way for us to begin to love our, our bodies more is to stop talking negative about them. I think self-talk and the way that we talk to ourselves and the things that we say to ourselves when we are when we are aware of the negative talk that we have in our head or the things that we're saying out loud, we can begin to have some power over that and begin to change how we're speaking to ourselves.
1: What was your self talk when you were overeating and over exercising?
0: Ooh. That's gross. Oh, I can never. I'm sorry. That gut is disgusting. There is no, I I can love my, no, there is no way in hell I'm going to love this body. Oh, you're not as pretty as her. Oh, what does she look like? Am I as thin as her? Oh, she probably doesn't eat any breakfast. I had breakfast. Yeah, my arms are way too big. I look so flubby in this dress. I shouldn't have worn this. I mean, I can just go on and on.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Would you mind talking about those underlying behaviors, beliefs, or anything that you had at that point? You mentioned that, you know, there is something else. It's not just about loving your body. There is something else going on underneath.
0: Yeah, I think for me and my journey as as a, a young girl, I was given this, and like most young girls, that our bodies matter. I was a curvy little girl. And so I had a lot of attention on my body. Adults would make comments. I developed before most of the girls, you know, so there was this experience that my body got me attention and got me love. So I better keep, then you add that to the fact that I was an athlete. I was a dancer. I was looking in front of the mirror, six hours a day. I was an actor. And so all of that, along with diet culture, And then also something that has taken me quite a while, Nishant, to realize that even a deeper, deeper layer is that I was always have been a, a leader. I've always been good at things and popular when I was growing up. And I had this feeling that that was good, but I wanted everyone to like me. So I wanted to make sure that I was good, but not too good that you wouldn't like me. So it was a lot of pressure that I put on myself to just be me. So I, I used food as a coping mechanism. I also used it to dumb myself down. I didn't want to be too pretty, too good, too, too, too much in the spotlight. Because if I was, then you may be jealous, or you may not want me around. Right. So there was this Mm -hmm. constant, like, is this okay? Am I okay here? Am I okay there? So food was this a way of being like, okay, you may think I got it together, but I'm going to go home and binge tonight. And I remember consciously thinking that I remember when I say this to you, I have this visual of me in like junior high, like, walking down the hall feeling in junior high, is such a, Oh my God, what a what, those are such um, tumultuous years for most people, right? Like trying to figure themselves out, trying to figure myself out. And, but I remember taking that on. And then from that point on, I used food as a coping mechanism, something, you know, I was an actor for years. So if I, I would blame, you know, not going to an audition on the fact that I was too fat you know, so I, rather than the fact that I was just afraid that I may not succeed. So it always got in the way. It was a way for me to not fully bring myself out because I actually wasn't good enough anyway. So what's the point, right? So <laughs> what's the point in shining fully? Because if I do, you're just going to tell me I'm fat. So I just won't. I'll just worry about what I eat and diet and feel like crap.
1: So what practices and frameworks you developed or adopted at that point to really cultivate that positive self-talk and move forward in a positive way in your life? Yeah,
0: so I found Reiki early on. Reiki, for those who who don't know, Reiki is a spiritual and hands-on healing practice that releases stress in our body so our body can heal itself. And it it's really a universal life force energy. It's the it's the part of love that's healing, the healing essence of love. So when I found this this beautiful, loving energy, I was actually at a support group. I was actually in a 12-step group at that point for my body and food, which probably saved my life. And it was there that a woman was giving herself Reiki and she took me to my first Reiki circle. And from that point on, I found... A way of accessing love when I couldn't give it to myself. A way of healing and loving myself and working through some of these deeper pieces in me that I did it from a, not from a place of there's something wrong with me, but from a place of I want to heal this so that I can grow. And that was big for me. So Reiki has been something I'm a Reiki master, I've been doing it for almost 20 years now, teaching it, sharing it from kids to adults to online to in person when I can with COVID. And that has been the basis of of my my world and my learning. And from that, right, so I feel Reiki was was my gateway (laughs) my Mm -hmm. gateway drug to spiritual practices and from there i learned that i had some deep i mean i knew this but i was led to doing more deeper work around my sexuality so i dove into healing that and did a lot of tantra and i'm i'm a tantra teacher and did a lot of study in that and see all of these practices I did, became a Kundalini yoga teacher, all of this, that I, the breath work, everything that I've learned along the way was really about healing this, healing this issue. And what a gift, right? Because I not only (laughs) healed it, but I also was, you know, as I'm doing it, kind of growing spiritually.
1: Marla, what other things in your life you healed through all these practices?
0: Well, you know, we go in for, you know, we say we're going in to heal and to love my body, but d- during that process we find that we have, you know, a trigger, you know, or a friend triggers us and that that trigger, that upset can make me feel emotional and then would lead me to emotionally eating. So it wasn't about healing the food, it was about healing whatever trigger I had in this relationship. You see, so it's all connected. It's all like the universe, God's spirit's plan to, to heal the, the whole body. So I think about my relationship with my, with my family that has healed, my relationship with myself you know, I'm still growing and healing. I'd love to have more patience. I'd love to be less reactive, you know. So all of, I feel like there's so many tools out there that we can use to support us. And sometimes we can just jump from one to another to another. And I think that that can be helpful for a while. But we have to like find the one that works and like stay committed and show up for that practice.
1: Looks like you found some secret recipe to feeling good. Could you reveal that secret to us?
0: I think I am right i <laughs> I mean, I just feel like it's listening and showing up and you know staying connected to ourselves finding finding ways that bring us continually back to ourselves, unless, like i said the the diet culture is one way that takes us out people pleasing thinking about myself, right the people pleaser the impatience like there there are so many ways, and I think also we have to realize you're saying a tool is that we don't have to do it on our own. Like spiritual practices are a connection to, to spirit or to, to others asking for support and help. I wouldn't be where I was if I didn't have mentors and coaches and people around me to support me. So it is having that outside reflection from a loving person that can really serve and that's why I do what I do because I like to be that loving reflection to people.
1: If someone listening to this episode is really resonating with what you're saying, Marla, and uh, where can they start from? What is the first step to get started on this journey?
0: To realize that you're worthy to do the work and to realize that it, it is a process. And it is a journey. And I think because it is deep, it can feel so scary to dive into some of this, to look at it, to even point in the direction of, well, am I worthy to love myself? And I, I know for me, my fear was is if I let go of the control if I fully let go of control and turned my body and my food over to a higher source or to, to that true voice inside of myself, that I would, I would become fat and then I wouldn't be loved. So it can feel so big to lean into this and even to dive into this work. But if we slowly, slowly lean in. We look, at, we look at ourselves from a place of love and we find someone who can guide us and help us.
1: I'm intrigued to ask you that. Did your lack of self-worth towards your body and not loving yourself showed up in different areas of your life as well?
0: Yeah. I mean, because it's, you know, you take your body with you. So you think about how that can show up in relationships. So I see a lot of women who pull back in relationships. I'll, I'll get into a relationship once my body looks a certain way. Right. So there's like kind of a hiding, not wanting to date, not wanting to show up But even within relationship, if women are in a relationship, they're married, they can pull back because they don't want their partner to see them or they or some women or the other side where they're overly sexual as a way to make themselves feel better about their bodies so that can show up in you know relationship then we think about you know work and our service in the world so I was mentioning to you how I wouldn't fully show up and I would sabotage myself by Thinking or just feeling really bad about myself that I couldn't actually find my true passion (laughs) because Mm. I was just feeling so awful. So I wouldn't be able to see all that was possible for me because I was blocking that because my focus was so so small. It was just on my body. And then I think about the times where I was cranky and upset and irritable because I overate or, you know, not wanting to go to parties because of the food or going and overeating and feeling uncomfortable. So really this issue is so pervasive and it is, and I think it's something that most people can relate to on some level, but it's when it's when we have a behavior. So say I would overeat at a party. Most people, normal people have overeaten at a party, right? And they're like, (laughs) oh gosh, I ate too much. That was really awful. Oh, I don't want to do that again. It was so good, but that was, oh, I feel so gross. I go to bed. They feel awful. They wake up in the morning. They're maybe not even hungry. And they just kind of like, okay, I'm just going to give a little space to my body. Or some of them are like, oh, I digested that well. And they kind of go back in. But for someone like the way I was, it would be like, I'm disgusting. That's gross. I can't believe I did that to myself. Look what how out of control I am. So then the next day would it be all about fixing what I did the night before and then hurting my body even more by... Fasting or over exercising. So you see, it infuses into everything. And then you see what that would do, right? So, what that next day was, maybe a fun day with a friend. Well, not so much. Or maybe like some sort of, you know, work venture. Yeah, not so much, right? So it is, it just, it just, blah, just kind of moves through life.
1: Do you see the similar issues with men as well?
0: I think so. I think more and more men are willing to share are willing to talk about it. I think it, maybe it's, it's been there and men haven't felt comfortable, but I think, I do think it's there. I, I think it's different. I mean, women have, we, our bodies have been gazed upon from the beginning of time, right. Is you know, You don't see like many like naked men, like pictures, you know, like old, you know, men lying on a couch being painted (laughs) from like thousands of years ago. But you do see like women, right? So I think there is something different, of course. We can't deny that there is something different. And I think it is, it is important I'm finding more and more to have more compassion for men and to bring that conversation to to them. And you know as a as a mom to a, a son like how do I raise a boy to be body positive and to look at other people's bodies and not say that one is better than the other? and to not talk about my body. I mean, he hears me talk about body stuff all the time because this is my work, but I I, I want him to know that like flesh isn't scary.
1: <laughs> what <Right>? your conversation <laughs> look like with your son or what do you tell your son?
0: Well, it's not as much what I tell him. It's how I respond to maybe something that he would say or even, you know, s- what I have heard mothers say is that they feel really uncomfortable and they don't let their kids touch their belly or they, you know, they may say something like I've heard this before and it it, it so saddens me that one of my clients was, uh, go ahead.
1: Could you give us an example? Yes. That your son would have asked you anything.
0: My son has said things to me like, oh, I don't want to eat that food because I may be fat. I may get fat. And my response would be, well, it's not necessarily about you being fat. It's about the fact that you likely don't feel that good when you eat too much of that food. So if you have, you know, more flesh on you and you have more fat on you, that's not good or bad. It's just about the type of foods that we want to eat that make ourselves feel healthy or not healthy. And what's great about kids is they don't, they're like, Oh, all right. (laughs) You know, I mentioned something to him. He said something about someone being fat. I'm like, you know, being fat is not, it's not good or bad. It's like someone's tall, someone's short, someone's thin, someone's fat. Like it's, it's all just their characteristics. And he's like, Oh, Okay.
1: Why do you think we obsess our food and body?
0: Why do we obsess about our food and body?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Well, from what I shared before, that I'll share a little bit more about, is that often the obsession is coming from a deeper place. So we may obsess about it because we may not be feeling good about ourselves. We may obsess about it because we may have had some weight on us, then we lose a little weight and we can't stop the obsession. It becomes an obsession. It becomes a way of getting more attention. It may be something, I mean, like I said, diet culture is so prevalent that so many people are so fixated on it. And there's a fear of weight. There's a fear of flesh. So, you know, it all depends, Nishant. It really all depends on what is happening with that person. I find that sexual trauma can bring up an obsession because there can be a control element. We want to control our bodies. We want to control what we look like if we think that we can't control other aspects of our life. And that could be from a sexual trauma or just any sort of trauma, or just the way that we've grown up. If we felt out of control and not able to take care of ourselves in a certain way, or you know the way others have responded to us. So there's there's so many deep rooted issues and so many ways and reasons that we do that. And so I always you know talk to people about getting to the deeper level, like with emotional eating, most people emotionally eat would you say you emotionally eat nishant
1: <laughs> yes yeah, sometimes
0: right yeah is it that big of a deal no we emotionally eat when we go out to dinner for a celebration we emotionally or just like i just need something to like calm me down we do it to ground ourselves we are constantly overeating and not overeating, emotionally eating what happens is people don't like it when they all of a sudden gain weight. Then it becomes an issue. right? Mm. So they don't like the repercussions of it. but it's not about stopping stopping the emotional eating. It's about figuring out why we are why we are emotionally eating and working through that issue. So it's not about figuring out okay, well, don't have that food in your house. I mean, maybe that will help, right? Don't have that food in your house, plan your meals you know, like all this structured things I got to control. It's like, no, we got to slow down. We got to love and notice like what is feeling emotional? What part of us is so upset that we need to slow down and be with those, that emotion. When we're with that emotion, we can stop the emotional eating. So it's the same thing with the obsession. What is causing us to obsess? I know I thought I was obsessed with food, and then I thought back, I'm like, I was just bloody hungry. I was mm. thinking about food all the time and thought I was crazy, but I just wasn't feeding myself enough. And my body was like, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me, feed me.
1: And it can be a habit change, behavior change, right? So
0: Absolutely.
1: Could you tell us any any practice, any way that we can change our behavior, modify our habits?
0: Well, I do not give like food plans. What I tell people is, and and this is a a different way of looking at it, okay? So this is a a behavior, but it has a a mindset to it. So we could say a food is good or a food is bad. And when we look at that, we're setting ourselves up to feel good or feel bad. Now, sometimes we can say we're going to eat the French fries, Right. And sometimes we can look at the French fries and be like, oh, I'm feeling good. I'm feeling like I'm having a good day. I can look at those French fries without any sort of like good, bad. Oh, no. Oh, 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 oh. And you can sit and you can enjoy and you can enjoy it. And they taste good and they feel good. And then some days we can show up and be like, you know what? I do not feel like I feel really uncomfortable eating those French fries. Like I really want the French fries, but I'm feeling really bad. And if I eat them, I'm going to feel like crap about myself. And and that's time to modify the behavior and see that sometimes I can have the French fries and sometimes I'm not able to. But it's not coming from a, a health mind. It's, it's coming from the mind. It's coming from listening to the emotional content that's happening, where it's, is this food safe for me today? Will this food make me feel good about myself? Or will this food make me feel bad about myself? So that's a different behavior modification, because it's not coming from good or bad. It's coming from how we're feeling about the food.
1: Hmm. What is your favorite food, Marla? (laughs) Chocolate what is the brand?
0: Oh, I make my own. I do a lot of dark chocolate. I'd have, I've had a very tumultuous relationship with chocolate. I, I didn't eat chocolate for about eight years, no chocolates and no sweets because I was so obsessed with it and it was ruining really my life that I decided to take it out. And it was very helpful for me at the time because it, it just took up, it gave me so much more mind space because it just wasn't a conversation because I was like, am I going to eat it? Am I not going to eat it? How am I going to exercise it away? Where is the chocolate? So I stopped eating chocolate for many years. And then when I got pregnant, I started eating it. And now I eat it all the time, but I don't have any shame (laughs) about it. So it's no big deal.
1: (laughs) Now, when you eat chocolates and sweets, what's your self-talk? What does your mind tell you?
0: I like sugar. <laughs> I definitely have a sweet tooth. But I don't, you know, I'm not good or bad if I eat it or if I don't eat it. You know, it doesn't come from I'm disgusting. I can't control myself. I think I'm like a normal person with sugar now. You know, sometimes you over eat too much because it can feel addictive. So I don't have those crazy thoughts anymore. I definitely lean into chocolate, you know, when I'm having emotions that still shows up, but I don't have the shame around it. It's just like, Yeah, I had a couple more pieces of chocolate than I probably needed, but it's okay. I'm alive and I'm fine. I'm still a good person.
1: (laughs) It's okay to eat chocolates, but having a game is not okay. So, Marla, what do you do? Or let me ask you in different way. what does your first 60 to 90 minutes of your morning look like?
0: I... Get up and I meditate pretty much right away. That's the most important thing. In your bed? Yes, I sit up. Or if I can get out and get on my sheepskin, I will. But usually I just sit up and I meditate for 20 to 40 minutes, depending. And then I... I have a very, because of my discipline with my exercise, <laughs> I'm still very disciplined and I do have a movement practice that I do daily. And of course, I'm hanging with my, my little guy and getting him ready for school and all that, Jess. But yeah, my husband is an exerciser and a fitness man. And so we, have, we both have a strong movement practice. So the mornings always look gym.
1: <laughs> what are some of the exercises, movement exercises? I
0: love to dance. So I'll do some dancing and we have a trampoline. So my son and I will jump on the trampoline and that's really fun. I like to do things that make me feel like I'm having a good time because I used to push myself so much. I like it to be fun. So some days I do yoga. Some days I do, you know, like a hit Tabata type. Workout. Some days I do a little bit of everything. and I love to walk and I like to, to jog and be out in nature. So I like to do a little bit of everything.
1: Would you consider just walking a movement exercise?
0: Do I think walking is, is an exercise? Yes. Oh yes, absolutely. It's one of my favorites.
1: Well, Marla, and uh, I want to ask you where can our listeners find you online?
0: You can find me at loveyourbody, loveyourself.com or Instagram. love your body, love yourself always. And then I'm on Facebook, very active there. I do have a private Facebook group for women called Peace With Food and Body Confidence. So if you're interested in joining that, I'd love to have you a part of the community.
1: Love it. Any closing thought, any recommendation, anything that you want to share?
0: Just take a deep breath and just find one thing that you love about yourself. You appreciate and let yourself just sit in that and feel that and you're allowed fully full permission
1: permission granted
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: well last but not the least marla thank you so much for being on the show it was a fun fun conversation with you
0: yes thank you so much
1: thank you Thank you for listening to this podcast episode today. If you did enjoy this, please subscribe to this podcast on Apple Podcasts or you can visit https://nishangarg.me. You can also share this episode with your loved ones to help them live a fulfilled life. You are not alone in this journey. We all struggle in life. There is no shame in talking about it. I go through my highs and lows. I get depressed and these practices help me in living a resilient life. You can also do this. you got this. Don't judge yourself. You are doing the best you can. And thank you so much again.